previously on Fred Watch. We've only seen the trailer. This yes. is with Robert Downey Jr. Yes. I like this trailer. Yeah. Uh, this seems, I think, to get the balance right. There's only so much you can draw from a trailer. Of course. But it looked beautiful. Mm. There is a consistency with the way the animals are presented. Mm-hmm. And Robert Downey Jr. is such a wonderful yeah. actor. Very engaging. Uh, at first, I have to admit, watching this trailer, I wasn't sure about him. Mm-hmm. Just seeing it, I go, Really? all the talented British actors <laughs> in the world who can get somebody who is actually British. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think um, Robert Downey Jr. has this personality that will shine through. Yeah. I'm hoping this is third time's a charm. Like, watching the trailer, they have the animals talking in English, and that, I sort of went, ah. Because, again, I, I kind of like that everything has to be translated back through the Doctor for yeah. us. I will admit the graphics look a bit so-so for me. But, after saying that, I'd much rather dodgy graphics than Rex Harrison riding a giraffe <laughs> that we find out possibly died. And now on to today's episode of Fred Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Right, all, let's see this squirrel, shall we? Okay. When you wake up, everything will be fine. If I die, I swear I won't hurt your house. Sterilize the scalpels. Do not lick any instruments. Patient's condition is stabilized. They're understanding him and he's understanding them in their own languages. <laughs> Going through the left ventricle, it's brilliant. Wow. Dub-dub, forceps, please. Here you go. That's a piece of celery. Forceps, dub-dub. Oh, sorry. Here you go. Still celery. Forceps. Carrot, that is. Forceps. That's a different piece of celery. Got it. Forceps. No, still celery. Never mind, I'll get it myself. Oh, no, no, talk to the animals. I'm going to come here and be Doolittle's apprentice. Her Majesty has designated this land a nature preserve. If she dies, the deed will be owned by the Treasury, and this place goes away. Shut down. Mm-hmm. Good evening, and welcome to television. Hey! Hello! Hey! Hey there! Hey! Whoa! I'm a Philip Hunting! And I'm Wayne Stellini. Welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Hey Philip, what have you been watching since our last podcast? Well, I have been watching something reluctantly. Okay. I... <laughs> Someone's put a gun to your head. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens when you have a beautiful, beautiful partner. With who... bad taste. With bad taste. (laughs) I have been... And to be honest, it's not as bad. It's not as bad as all that. But I've been re-watching or semi-re-watching Packed to the Rafters. Oh, okay. Now, obviously, this is an Australian drama that every Australian has heard of. One that I've never seen before, though, Mm, I have mm. to admit. So... You're watching it reluctantly. Your partner, Kirsten, is watching it with great enthusiasm. Yes! She, uh, Kirsten's actually gotten to a point where she doesn't like watching shows with me anymore and she hates that I have such a critical mind when it comes to shows. Well, you're a reviewer. Exactly. <laughs> but we were watching Gilmore Girls for a little while and I started going on about how I feel it's extremely right-wing, a really petty show, all the characters on it. It's almost as if 
It's it's as if uh, Lorelai Gilmore, the the main protagonist, is recounting events when she's like old and grey, and she's retelling the story of her life because everything revolves around her in a way that just would not happen in this really heightened world. So it's her and point of view. It's her, it's very much her point of view, except it's not. Because you get mm. cutaways of other people and things that happened where she wasn't there and it's the exact same type of world. And it's also very... I feel it's it's almost someone who is right-wing in, in their political views writing as if they want to... And I say she because I believe it is a she who uh, who's writes it, writes from a very, this is what I'm like, this is what a, a left-wing writer would write like, sort of thing. Okay. So then what's your beef with Pack to the Rafters? Well, I, I tell that just quickly to then explain why Kirsten hates me watching shows with her now. Because I explained all of that and I've been explaining that for a few months now. And she finally turns around and said, could you not do that? I'm like, what? And she says, ruin shows for me. <laughs> because oh, now okay. she sees it. Shame on you, Philip. You fool her yeah. once. Shame yeah, on her if you fool her twice. Well, Which, listen, it seems like she's now learning. Yeah, that's it. And now with Pack to the Rafters, what I feel's happening is that it's a really good show if you watch it like it was meant to be seen. You know, one episode a week over the span of whatever. But when you binge watch it, you see the exact same writing style fold out. You see the exact same tropes happening over and over. You look at it and you go, surely to goodness that character... Because one of the big things is, something good happens to character, something bad happens to character. Something good happens, something bad happens. And there are just certain characters which you look at and you go, surely you've learnt by now. But of course, we're seeing that over the span of a weekend... Mm. It would have been done in the span of weeks, and so you wouldn't get that feeling if you were watched it dragged out. So is it quite repetitive in that sense? Very repetitive. To the point that I can walk out, come back in a few hours, she's watched a few more episodes, and I'm like, oh, you're still on that episode? And she's like, no, this is like four episodes in. From oh, so it's the equivalent of... In an American daytime soap opera. Yes. Where you leave the room, come back four years <laughs> later, and the protagonist is still pregnant. Yeah, yeah. That's it, that's it. And, and yeah, it's just... It, it, uh, it's not as... When I say it's not as bad, there are certainly other things that I've watched which are so much worse. Uh, Gilmore Girls is one of those. We've reviewed but, some of those other things, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely one that I'm sort of sat back and gone, uh, not... Not not Australia's finest moment. <laughs> so are you going to tap out of Pack to the Rafters or see it through to say you've seen it? No, no, because I'm not watching it religiously. The, the I think the problem also is I'm not watching it in full context. Yeah. I'll walk in and I'll sort of snuggle up to Kirsten and it'll be, okay, now I'm watching this. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life now. Yep. And how about you, Wayne? Yeah, I caught a movie produced by Netflix, a Spanish film called The Paramedic, and it had an interesting premise, and essentially it's about this paramedic who has an accident, who's involved in a vehicle accident, and becomes wheelchair-bound. 
mm. and reliant on his partner. And about halfway through the film, she decides that she can't live with him anymore because he is, and this is established before the accident, he's quite narcissistic and controlling. And, oh, um, okay. And this is heightened now. And she decides, well, no, I- I'm leaving you. So then he decides to get revenge on her. Mm. And yeah, and sort of try to reclaim, I suppose, his power and what he believes this relationship should be. It has a lot of vibes of Stephen King's Misery, both mm. the, the novel and Rob Reiner's screen adaptation. So there's a lot of promise and potential with it, but it does turn out to be a very poor man's version of Misery. You feel like that it could have just gone further with some of the tension it could have gone further with some of the plot points and character development so whilst it's not a bad film it's not really a great film either but if anyone is willing to check it out or is curious because it's like if you like the genre and you don't mind the tropes and if you don't mind seeing plot twists and how things are going to pan out a mile away if you just want (laughs) something like that easy going do watch it netflix will automatically play it dubbed in American English, which is incredibly annoying. So do switch over to the original Spanish language. Everything just sounds better and is synced up better. Uh, And this is not to take away from the actors who have done the dubbing, by the way. Not at all. It's just my personal preference. And also the subtitles are at a viewer-friendly pace. I have seen some subtitled movies from Netflix where they've done the subtitles themselves and the subtitles just race through where the only way to watch the film without having to pause it every two seconds to see what people are saying (laughs) is to actually watch it dubbed, which not my preference. But this is one of the more viewer-friendly versions of films that Netflix have put up. So, Yeah. yeah, so The Paramedic, worth checking out, even not highly recommended. But, Philip. Yes. Movies that have been a bit contentious about whether (laughs) they should be checked out or come highly recommended. I feel like... We might be discussing one. But what is today's film, my friend? Today we're reviewing the 2020 re-remake of the children's classic, Dr. Doolittle. Tell us about it, Janet. (laughs) Directed by Stephen Gagan, Doolittle is a retelling of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting. Dr. John Doolittle, Robert Downey Jr., is a Welsh veterinarian who possesses the ability to talk to the animals. As such, he prefers animals to humans. He is thrust on a wild adventure to retrieve the fruit of Eden, the only cure to a poison that has struck down the Queen of England. Joined by Tommy Stubbins, Harry Collette, and his menagerie of friends, they set across the sea, pursued by Dr. Blair Mudfly, Michael Sheen, and the British Navy, as it seems that not all wish to see the Queen recover. Wayne, were you ready to talk to the animals this time? Well, it's interesting, Philip, because when this film first came into our little podcasting world, we (laughs) had been discussing previous version of the Dr. Doolittle story, and we looked at the trailer to this movie, and straight away I had high hopes for this film. I thought the trailer looked good, I won't say I was quite excited by it, but I was enthusiastic and optimistic Mm. about it. And then feedback 
about how the film is started filtering through online and, and in film circles and discussions. So the film's got a reputation. So to say that I was ready <laughs> or excited to, uh, to talk to the animals again, not necessarily. And that's also not necessarily a bad thing because it meant that my expectations were low <laughs> as opposed yeah. to if I was just going off that original trailer. I do wonder if I went back and watched the trailer, though, if I would still be as keen, or if I was like, well, Wayne, what on earth were you thinking about (laughs) when you discussed this trailer? One of the things I remember, Philip, you mentioning was that the CGI looked a bit off, whereas I thought that everything sort of looked good. But in terms of, uh, you know, 2020's Doolittle, I think that one of the positives is that they've kept the story quite simple. So... They've gone for what I believe is an original story because I've not read any of the books Mm. uh, by Mm. Hugh Lofting, so I'm not sure. But in terms of screen, it's an original story or an original take on a story in terms of Doolittle having to go on this adventure to to achieve this goal and then deep down resolve something within. And in this case, it's, you know, the passing of his wife. Mm. So I, I like that. I think definitely keeping the story simple is is important because it's aimed at a young audience and you can get into some murky waters if you try to appeal too much to the older demographic by complicating things because I think you're then just going to lose everybody in that sense. So yeah. I have no doubt that kids will love this movie. I think there's a lot for kids to enjoy. I think they'll like the animals, they'll like the gags. There's quite a bit of physical humour in here as well. The colour palette is is quite lovely. It's bright for most of the time. Mm. So, again, there's... On the surface, there's a lot to like about this movie. But for me, like, really looking into it, I thought at first, well, look, mercifully, this movie goes for an hour and 41 minutes. So... It's going to be punchy. It's going to be to the point. It's going to be a nice adventure. And look, I can't fault the pacing of this film. Mm. I think it's actually quite well paced. I was never bored, I have to say. I don't think I was ever really bored watching this movie, which, you know, was one of the problems, I think, with the (laughs) Rex Harrison film, because Mm. it was so long, which, again, was common for the film and for the era that yeah. it was made in. That's how you did musicals. That's fine. But, uh, you know, that could have been a bit punchier. This one went at a pretty good pace for me. In saying that, it's pace, whilst it's good in terms of engagement, it means that there isn't much depth to these characters, humans and yes. animals alike. So there are certain dynamics that didn't really make sense to me. For example, we had the ostrich and the polar bear. So I didn't actually realize, and maybe I missed something. Maybe I nodded off and didn't realize it, but I don't think so. But <laughs> the the ostrich and polar bear apparently don't get along. Yeah. And I didn't realize this until they had their DNM yeah, <laughs> about like, being friends. Well, you only see it, as far as I could gather, you only see it once they're on the ship, which is like a good halfway into the movie. Yeah, but it's not I, like it's made of a big deal. Like, it's not a big no, deal in terms no, that's of it. they're bickering and hate each other type thing. Yeah, um, so all you get, just, just to go on that bit, because that's something no, I've noticed as well, you get, again, unless we've both missed something at the start of the film, the first inkling you get is that 
the because you only meet the ostrich as far as I know when it's like I want you know ready to go riding, <laughs> mm, and yeah. then you don't get this rivalry until they're both on the ship as if they've both just met each other. And yeah. is, the ostrich is like, what sort of polar bear uh, hates the cold? And mm. then the polar bear is like, well, what sort of bird are you anyway? And it's yeah. like this rivalry is just forming now that they're on the ship. It's as if they've never yeah. bumped into each other in the past. Yeah, that like it doesn't make sense to me. And also, mm. if we want to argue that they have just bumped into each other for whatever reason, for them to have a declaration of strong friendship, the ostrich feeling, that warm and fuzzy feeling that they say, it just, it, it's then too much of a jump. You yeah, know? that's it. And I think the film has quite a few of these elements throughout. One of the things that disappointed me was that we are introduced to a gorgeous duo that is made up of a giraffe and a fox. Mm. And I'm sure, Philip, we're going to talk about that giraffe scene. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> some stage but in terms of the characters the fact that it's it's a giraffe and it's a fox and they're a team and they're on the run that they're kind of all like these you know these almost like aladdin-esque <laughs> criminals yeah. who, who are doing stuff to survive. like i meeting them i fell in love with them so much because they're an unlikely duo they're you know they're like i guess a bit like robin hood <laughs> I, I, like mm-hmm. i can't really pick pinpoint exactly who they remind me of but they're just wonderful cute bandits yeah and once they get stubbins on the ship, on the boat, where are they? Yeah. You know, they for stay such behind. a long time. Yeah, they, they, they reappear again, which is great. Happy to see them. But I'm like, the type of personalities that these two characters are, the type of dynamic that they depict in their moments on screen, I want a movie about them. Yeah, that's it. Like, that's, it's, it's one of the missed opportunities I found. And I think that this is my main problem with Doolittle, besides the visual effects. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, for me, there's missed opportunities. Again, on a superficial Everywhere, level, yeah. it's cute. Kids are going to love it because it's always moving along at a good pace. Yeah. But, uh, come on, I th- we expect more. For me, we, we expect more. And, um, and I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of... Of Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. Um, <laughs> such a talented actor. And I'm not going to go as far as to say he delivers a bad performance. I don't think it's bad. But it has to easily go down as one of his worst. Yeah. I mean, come on. He was better in Weird Science. Like, come on. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I, I did have misgivings about Robert Downey Jr. being cast because I thought they should have had someone from the yeah, UK. plenty of Welsh actors. Yeah, but, but in saying that, look, if you're talented like Robert Downey Jr. is, it's like, I'm, I'm okay. And look, he served as an executive producer, so he had some involvement <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To, to bring in this to fruition. But, yeah, there's, there's just something that's not quite right about Doolittle for me. Again, some positives, but for me, did not quite hit the mark. But mm. Philip, you've got more of a, an affection for the Doolittle character and and the story and the legacy of Doctor Doolittle. Mm. What were your thoughts about this? Well, moment? I've now gotten to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm now invested enough in Doctor Doolittle as a character that I actually want to. I'm going to get the book audio book of it, the original. Okay. Hugh Lofting book, well, in audio form, and <laughs> I'm going to have a listen. I'm going to 
read it, listen to it, whatever it is you do with audiobooks. And because I now really want to see what is the source material. Because mm. I've realized why I loved the original so much. And actually why I enjoyed the concept of this film. Mm. And I've realized it's because I am in love with the world it creates. Oh, the world is amazing. It is an abstract, absurdist um, reality. You know, if you were to look at it from, say, a a historical 1800s point of view, you know, Mm. the fact that there are royal guards of colour, the fact that that there's uh, fantastical machines, which I didn't think... Dr. Doolittle, this is why I want to go back to the source material. I didn't think uh, Dr. Doolittle was uh, an inventor slash steampunk sort of uh, (laughs) novel. (laughs) There's a lot about it which I would say it's more the world and the idea of that world that they've created that I fell in love with. The story got in the way. Yeah. So you're right. I think it would be interesting to have a read or listen <laughs> to mm-hmm. the source material to see how, I guess we really do come with three major adaptations yeah. that that take it differently because they take the concept. Mm. But one would argue perhaps the first adaptation from 1967 would be more faithful because that's kind of how they really yeah. were back in the day. Yep. But even that had pros and cons to it. Yeah, that's uh, it. I don't know, is it just a case where it just is a story that reads better and your imagination does a better job? I'm wondering about that. So one of the big things about this particular version is that I think there was actually too much story. As simple as it was, there was actually too much story. They were trying to put in a bad guy. They were trying to put into this, trying to put... I actually feel that there didn't need to be a rival that was pursuing them and trying to stop them. Well, I didn't mind that, though. I, I Look, I didn't mind it, but in the grand scheme of things, I actually think this would have been better off as an adventure movie as opposed to a adventure chase movie. Uh, um, so are you thinking more like how they did do it in 67, where it's a series of adventures to get to the end? Yeah, goal? that's it. And I actually think if these two movies took the best bits of each movie and slammed them together, we would have had a much better movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more. it should have been more like your um, uh, journey to the centre of the earth or... Oh, there's a few others. But it's about the going to the fun, cool locations of this world that you're building. Yeah. And show me different animals and different... I mean, even small details like, you know, how are we going to find them? We'll follow the whales. Well, you've already had whales. You've got thousands of other animals. Imagine if you'd got... There's there's all these different glowing fish. Mm. Imagine if... Just, again, tiny little details... But if you'd had it so that these glowing fish were all lining up, so at night you just followed the the, the glowing fish and followed dolphins like, in the... Yeah, like instead of just following the stars, like actually use the animals that are in it. the world more. Yeah, That's it. And again, that's just such a small thing. But I think they got caught up in, let's show off these characters that we've built. And actually the animals became too clunky. Like we said, the 
polar bear and ostrich thing. Mm. It wasn't needed. The no, that uh, did not add anything. Like whatsoever. Uh, added to the nothing. Film. The squirrel thing. He's pissed off at Stubbins. I actually would have liked to have seen him tr- attempting to assassinate Stubbins on a Thank regular basis. You very <laughs> much. No, this was yeah. the thing. So the squirrel named Kevin, I yes. love so much. So and when cute, he but... awakes from his anesthetic from the surgery, <laughs> these brilliant flashes go across the screen. Like, you know, my life flash before my eyes. Yeah. And it leads to Stubbins accidentally shooting him. And he just goes, Revenge, And I'm just like, all right, he's going to join this motley crew and he's going to try to sabotage or get back at Stubbins all the way through. Mm. There's hints of discussion. Yeah. But nothing actually happens. See, take away the polar bear and ostrich, two characters (laughs) who don't like one another, and then resolve in the end because they've gone on this journey. They've learned to trust and respect one another, right? Do Mm. that... With Kevin and Stubbins. Yeah. Because we can see exactly why they don't like each other. And we understand both. Because Stubbins is sympathetic. He didn't mean to shoot Kevin. Yeah. Kevin doesn't care. <laughs> he yeah. was shot out of the street. And the fact that that's never even talked about or explained, you get this feeling that, again, even the thing between Stubbins and Doolittle, I actually think the whole shooting thing... And maybe him saying early on, trying to be like, but I didn't mean to, I didn't want to, I was forced to or something like that. And then Doolittle going, yeah, but you still did. Mm. Maybe this idea of Doolittle's trying to show him you've got to take responsibility for your actions, but Stubbins is showing Doolittle that mistakes happen or you can trust people or whatever story you want. There was a nice link you could have had, which was just thrown out the window because Polly says, oh, trust him. Yeah. I mean, and I think towards the end of the film, Kevin does have this sort of throwaway line about being okay with Stubbins now. Um, yeah. Like, as... oh, you know, maybe I can sort of trust him. It's like, really? That's how you're going to resolve? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That, that annoyed me because again, I love Kevin so much as a character and I love Stubbins as a character. Really well, well played by both performers mm. there. Potential not realised. This is yeah. a recurring thing for me with this movie. And I think what this movie, the big problem for me is that it's trying to do all at once. Mm. When it should have, like I sort of said, it should have just been an adventure movie that is about solving maybe little riddles, maybe a little bit Sherlock-esque. If you're going to yeah. go down this sort of adventure path, make it a little bit Sherlock-esque where maybe he's got to, he's got this map, but... It doesn't have everything, and now he's trying to figure out how to get to this place. So he goes to this island where his uh, father-in-law was. And again, that whole stuff was quite nice, but it wasn't Mm. played out enough. Maybe the father-in-law... Again, he does this whole thing about, oh, well, that's what my my daughter would have wanted. But again, it didn't feel justified. It felt sort of, what made you think that all of a sudden? Yeah. You know what I mean? No, you're not wrong. You know, it needed to be more something like maybe this guy has a connection to Queen Victoria. And if we're having this absurdist world, maybe Queen Victoria in this world is an adventurer. You know, maybe Maybe this is where she got sick instead of it being an assassination plot. She got sick because she went to some place and got hit by a poisonous dart from someone. You know, she was just, just I mean, this, this world allows you to go there. That's it. That's it. So, with all that, it, it needed to just make the backstory or the, the 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 sorry the main story just simplified. He's going on an adventure, 
And really, I know people go off at it, but just a MacGuffin story. It's just a, I need oh, the yeah. thing. Which is essentially what it has. But yeah. you're right, they've then tried to, even though I, I, I still feel as a, as far as like kids movies go, mm. the story is simple enough that I, I feel like they could have really complicated it more. Oh no, I appreciate that. But I think this is why they, they've had a simple storyline, but then thrown things on top. Yeah. And that's the, my problem, whereas I'd want that simple story, even if it is the story as it is, but then all this other stuff needs to be between the two protagonists. The animals really need to be just supporting characters. They're there for the gags. They're there they're to there help for the gags. The, to come to the rescue, right? That, that, that's, that's exactly it. what they're there for. Yeah, I mean, so from... we don't need all this, oh, trying to resolve it, uh, uh, made-up enemies and just have it. Dr. Doolittle and Stubbins should have been the two that were trying to, from different worlds and trying to understand each other. For me, one of the things that really let the film down in the end was mm. the CGI. Yeah. Uh, so at least, you know, what 67 had was practical effects, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and it, I don't know, like, I didn't notice the CGI being bad in, in the trailer when we first reviewed it you picked up on it you weren't a fan of it but i was like no i think it's gonna work mm. out okay okay well that shut me up very quickly <laughs> <laughs> the movie begins quite lovely it's an animated introduction and that looks mm. quite gorgeous and then once you see it as live action with cgi you wish the whole film was animated in that story. oh my goodness i thought that i thought oh this is really nice and then it turns and i was like oh can we go back to the animations i legitimately <laughs> thought that at first yeah, you sort of, like, forgot about what everyone's been saying about the CG. You're like, oh, no, this is gorgeous. I really love that opening. Mm. But, look, we've got the, the movie that we've got, right? And, like, for me, the, the point where I felt the CG was the most distracting and the worst was actually one of my favourite scenes. And that's when we've got Giraffe and Fox helping Stubbins to get to the boat, right? It looks so bad. Like, mm. just... There's so many moments where you can see the different layers, where yeah. you can see human, CG animal, set piece, CG yeah. animal, and like you can physically see the layers. And this is one example of them. And I was in two minds about the scene because I had flashbacks, Phil. You gave me PTSD. I had <laughs> flashbacks to our review of Dr. Doolittle, where you told me that a giraffe died during that film. Yeah. And so watching the sequence, I'm like, this CG is so bad. It looks so horrible. But I'm glad that it's not a real giraffe. <laughs> because it got, to, it got to live, for lack of a better word, through the process. But the whole sequence, like it disappointed me, mate, because again... Giraffe and Fox, I just, I was instantly in love with them. I, again, I want a movie about them. I love them so much. Which shows, again, the potential of this film. Because the little nuggets of gold that you get show some real cleverness and some great effects of humour and action. But that sequence for me looked really bad. Again, when we've got the gorilla answering the door at the beginning, we've got the typical and predictable, but always effective screaming gag. Funny. Mm. But again, the CG looked horrendous yeah. in that. And this is a common complaint that I have for this movie. What were your thoughts on the on the visuals, mate? You, you called it way back when. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, look, again, 
I, I have to say, I was not a fan of it. I, I did find myself slipping into suspension of disbelief for a little mm. while. So yeah, I same. did sort of deal with it. But again, you're right. Everything felt out of place, especially when you've got films that do it so well, you know? Yeah. Even back in the early 2000s with Lord of the Rings, mm. that CG works so much better than this did. Well, Doolittle looks so bad that you can only imagine how badly it will age. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, And, like, why... I I get you can't have live animals, that's not what I'm saying, but when you've got something, even something like um, Kong, you know, Mm. where the the big guru, the King Kong... Yeah. And he looks so good. You see the hairs and the fibres. And that was panned for not being great CG. That was better than this. Oh, give me King Kong any day. Any day. Yeah. I just do not understand how, especially with, and I'm just going to double, triple check, but it had a, a budget of $175 million. How do you mess up CG with those sort of numbers? For me, the animals individually, I liked. I thought they looked good. They are really well performed. But just the way they interact with this world, it just it just does not look nice. Again, a, a young audience, an undemanding audience is going to be perfectly fine. They're going to love the interactions. They're going yeah. to love the humor, the physicality of these animals. The fact that, you know, we've got a dog with glasses, a duck with a, with a metallic leg. Mm. Uh, like, you know, they, they're going to like these little quirks. But that's almost a gimmick that cannot be sustained yeah, for an hour 40. Can't. That's it. And I think one of the good things with this movie is that short runtime... Yeah. But you're right, there's a difference between, and I honestly think a lot of filmmakers have forgotten this, have lost this vision, this view. Mm. And again, I'm going to get really cynical here, but <laughs> once upon a time, people seem to look at and again, I get it, the good ones have filtered through, but they seem to look at a movie and go, how can I make this a classic? How can, what mm. will this be remembered for? Yeah, you and think so? Um, look, rose-tinted glasses, maybe, I get it. But my point is that this universe, this Doctor Doolittle universe, has the potential to be remembered forever, has the potential to have these beautiful stories. It's a great idea. Mm. This person who can talk to animals, and you've got this beautiful rapport with, 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 with the animals and with the, the world around you, and yet... You resort to fart gags? Oh, that third act. That third act. You know? The the, the bad guy has a a moment of, oh, I might become good. Uh, And then he just gets dropped into a chasm and then after the credits, eaten by bats. It's like, that's so gimmicky and cheap. No, I thought his whole, like, oh, it might be good was just his way trying to squirm out of it in one piece. But it could have even been hammed up a bit more. I think if you're going to go for it, go for it. And again, like this, um, a broken record, but just potential not realised throughout it. this movie. Speaking of like the the characters, how, what were we, what were you thinking about Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Doolittle here? 
I, I mean, multiple minds because I do love Robert Downey Jr.'s work. Mm. I loved. I know a lot of people did not like Sherlock, but I loved Sherlock and the world that created as well. Oh, I, I'm a fan I, of those films. I like. Yeah, them a lot. most certainly, most certainly. And I liked what he did here. Dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> I liked what he did here. I don't like that he was asked to do it. Mm. I would have preferred that a Welsh actor was brought in if you're going to make him Welsh. I'm sorry, just because, you know, if we're going to be talking about people representing the people they are, then it has to come back to just because you're British doesn't mean you all of a sudden are not a minority, especially when we're talking about the Welsh, because they are a minority within Britain. You know, within Britain, they were always oppressed, just like the Irish and the Scottish. So, I mean, they are a minority, Daddy and Jim here is we are for star power and and, and box office pull. Yeah, that's I all know, he's here for. But... Because you're right. There's so many talented people in the world, uh, mm. and why not highlight Welsh talent? But yeah, a Welsh leading man that no one has heard of is not going to pull mm. in people. And with the movie True. the way it is, Downey Jr. couldn't even pull people into the. Cinema. Well, that's it. That's it. Yeah, you um, don't know that beforehand though. But I no. yeah, for me, he's accent distracted me and not yeah. because I know it's an American man putting on that accent you know Danny's divorce he, he's talented he can do all of this but for me it almost felt like he just sort of cashed it in like his laid back approach which he is now really famous for having played Tony Stark slash mm. Iron Man um, that's the approach but I feel like that that's Robert Downey Jr that's his personality and it yeah. feels like he's bringing that into Dr. Doolittle it's yeah. not charming no. It almost feels very lazy to some degree because yeah. the moments that are supposed to be tense and have tension, the reason why we've got a bad guy pursuing them and trying to sink the boat, which you're not a fan of, Phil. I really like the concept behind that. It didn't work for me, though, because they even that boat scene where cannonballs are firing and so forth, we need the whale to, to, to help. No tension whatsoever. There was nothing tense about that battle. And that really... That and the dragon scene at the end are, I think, supposed to be the two highest levels of tension. They're the ones mm. that are supposed to be edge of the seat. I was reclined in my seat. Yeah, <laughs> like same. For me, it didn't provide it, yeah. yeah. You know what I think it is? And this comes back to the storytelling. For me, I would have loved to have seen... So, you know, the have you seen Master and Commander? No. Okay. There's a doctor on Master and Commander who he's, he's meant to be... He's either meant to be Charles Darwin or Charles Darwin-esque mm-hmm. character. Basically, he he's sort of very Munrose and very to himself in that. Right up until something he sees something awesome, i.e. the Galapagos Islands. All yeah. of a sudden, you, you see the stars in his eyes. You see the, 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 the youth, the, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I wanted to see that. Yeah. And I think that's where I talk about this idea of it being it should have been more of an adventure movie where you start off with this character who's Munrose and uh, humans are aw- awful and you just get hurt and I lost the love of my life and all that jazz. He's forced into the adventure and over the expression of time, you over this adventure, you see him getting his gleam back. You see him getting his... his uh, and you see him... You know, maybe you have those flashbacks of him and his wife and he goes, yeah, this is what my wife would have wanted for me and all that jazz. 
I wanted to see the 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 awe and the the sparkle and the the sense of adventure. Mm. Whereas you're right, he doesn't. He 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 just has this laid back. Even when he sees the dragon that he thought might exist, but it doesn't. Yeah. He's just like, okay, yep, cool dragon. Let's help him out. You know what we're needing there? We need that moment that Sam Neill sees the first dinosaur in Jurassic Park, where he literally goes, it's a dinosaur. It's that wonder. It's like, you know, because we all know what it is, but he's like, no, no, but it's a dinosaur. It's It's the thing that I, you know, yeah, this is it. Do we want to talk about that dragon sequence, mate? Yes. (laughs) Or do we want to pretend it doesn't exist? (laughs) No, no, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it because it's just so dumb. Yeah, I mean, it, it just goes for cheap gags. Again, the tension isn't there because you've got this fire-breathing animal, right? But the tension isn't there. You don't really ever feel like there's threat or risk. Now, obviously, total different kettle of fish here, but in Game of Thrones, when you see a dragon, you're always terrified of what's going to happen. And I yeah. get this is a children's movie. It's a family movie. We're not going to go there, clearly. We're not going to see people burnt alive. The mm. most we get is the dragonfly who gets a little a little spark on him. Oh, and the illusion of it when the soldier goes up. Yes, that's right. And look, and I don't expect it to be graphic or anything like that. No, but... but... It's the same complaint I have with other elements of this film. There's no tension. You don't yeah. believe the threat. That's it. Yeah. I mean, if we even want to then go back to that scene where Doolittle is in prison and he's got that tiger, there's some fun blocking and, and, and jumping around the cell, but you never feel like there's any real danger for anyone. I mean, it's, yeah. it's good for the gorilla to come and sort of redeem himself and, and so forth. And, you know, I'm, I'm brave and courageous, but it doesn't really serve any other purpose. Yeah. And even that, yeah, the whole the whole thing, even that t- when the map is taken and it's gone and mm. all hope is lost, I get that as critical adults, we sit there and go, yeah, there's no way, you know. I, I think one of the uh, Family Guy Star Wars rip-offs uh, uh, parodies uh, do a joke where um, someone's like, oh, what are we going to do? And then Peter Griffin's character as Han Solo goes, We've got four out of five of the main characters on board. I think we're going to be okay. I get... <laughs> but you shouldn't be I, thinking that when you're watching a but movie. But that's, that's it exactly. Yeah. This is, that's what this lack of tension, lack of energy, lack of bravado or, or, or fear. You don't believe it when his character goes, no, all hope is lost. You, you oh, yeah. actually... I think, again, the difference between his role as Iron Man in the Avengers, etc., is that in the Avengers... There is the potential that all hope is lost. In two of the movies, all hope is lost. The good guys essentially do not win. Look, I mean, and those films are really formulaic in terms of adventure movies, but they do them so well. They know yeah. the genre tropes. They know the style. They know the formula because the, mm. the films in that extensive series use pretty much the same formula over yeah, and over yeah. again. But if you're invested in it, you do not care. And the That's only it. way you get invested in it is by having strong characters, having strong character dynamics, having real threats, having real relationships, having this emotional roller coaster within one another, having villains that you really yep. want to hiss and boo at. Yep. Boxes are all ticked. Do little hints at things like that, but just does not see them through. Yeah. I'm not sure why they're holding back. 
on the many yeah, things they hold I back. Get it. I don't get, I don't it. get it. One of the, one of the issues, you know, having Jim Broadbent's character of Lord Thomas Bagley, you know, a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, it is is again that splits up the bad guy job. Yeah, and again, it lessens the tension because you've got Doctor Blair, who is the henchman going after. Yeah, for this Lord Thomas. And in a series, you can do that. You know, when you, yeah. you've got, you know, Dr. Claw in, uh, in Inspector Gadget yes. and all his henchmen do the job. That's yeah. fine, though, because at the end of every episode, you have, next time, Gadget, next time. <laughs> but it's at the end of every episode. You've got a trope. This is yeah. one movie. Either have Lord Thomas doing the bad work or don't have Lord Thomas exist and Dr. Mudfly is the one that's got the whole overarching plan. We don't have room for two bad guys. Yeah, I mean, look, Michael Sheen isn't given a lot to work with as no. Dr. Blair and Mudfly, but I think out of the villains, he is the better one to pursue. Oh, most certainly. Because let's not forget, we also have Antonio Banderas as the king, who has, you know, that that grudge against Doolittle as well. Yeah. We've got animals who aren't fans of Doolittle. Uh, so there's yep. baddies everywhere. Again, fine, but I would just have them as obstacles, not as sort of all trying to compete yeah. as main antagonists. I, yeah, agree with you on that one, mate. I also want to just point out, I know we've already talked about Robert Downey Jr.'s Welsh portrayal, mm. but I just want to point out a little bit of irony that he's starred in a movie which mocks that very idea, uh, Tropic Thunder. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, the fact that he is doing right now what he mocks in that movie. I just find that a bit of, <laughs> bit of poetic irony. I love it. Yeah. yeah I just I wanted to throw that into the universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's face it, he's not going to play his uh, character in Tropic Thunder ever again. No, no. no. That, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so with that all said and done, Wayne, what are your final thoughts and a score to five? Yeah, so much has been said about Doolittle and most of it is about the visuals and also some of the, the humour. We, we talked briefly about the dragon and flatulence jokes and things like that. Again, that's aimed for the kids. They're going to get a laugh, but I mean, didn't even raise a smile with me. There are moments that I chuckled in this movie. There are moments that I got caught up in the whimsy. I've mentioned those before, but it's a very disjointed movie for me because the director's vision the screenplay, the performances, the CGI team, they're not all on the same page, I feel, yeah. because for me, the film doesn't come together successfully. In saying that, is it a complete and utter write-off that you know is a total waste of time? I don't think so. I think, overall, it's an inoffensive movie that if you've got little kids, they're going to enjoy this one. And I think you'll probably enjoy the experience watching them enjoy it, if that makes sense. It's definitely a family movie. But as a film onto its own, I don't think it is quite successful in achieving what it sets out to do. And there are multiple reasons for that. And Phil, we've talked about that, and there's probably a lot more that we haven't even discussed at all. I think that Robert Downey Jr., whilst good, is ultimately miscast as Doolittle. Mm. I much preferred the animal characters throughout this film. 
I think that even though whilst they're not always integrating with the live action elements as well as they could, I was always on their side. I did like that. There's also a reference to the Godfather in this film involving (laughs) ants. So the film is going to get an extra half a star for me. (laughs) for doing a great (laughs) reference and parody of the Godfather. So overall, I give Doolittle two out of five. Philip. Nice, yep. I can basically agree to everything you've just said. I think there's far too many characters in this. Too many characters that do nothing. For instance, we have Caramel Landiado as Lady Rose, who to me could simply be summed up as the inciting incident. She does little to nothing in this. I almost would have preferred to see her actually go on the adventure with them. I was uh, expecting it, Phil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I mean, and I know she she's there to, you know, be a love interest for Tommy Stubbins, but again, unless they're together a lot more, there's no point. I do want to yeah. point out, though, that I think Harry Collette as Stubbins is one of the better characters and actors, human-wise, in this, in this story. I definitely think so, but I, again, take issue with the fact that he starts to learn animal far too quickly. He... Yeah. He kind of always has it, though. I think, is, is that... Is that I sort of alluded to with, yeah. with when he's um, when he's hunting? I feel like it's alluded to, but he is again, a quick learner, my friend. <laughs> he is a quick learner, but again, this is one of the things that just was glazed over far too much. Hmm. Get rid of all these other little bits and pieces and focus on a handful of really strong elements. Yeah. To be honest, the thing I liked the most about this movie was its world. I know I said it before, but hmm. I'll say it again. The world that it's created. I missed the music. I know the original <laughs> one was difficult to watch as an adult, but as a child, the music enthralled me. I could sit and happily watch just a master cut of all the musical bits of the original and be happy. Cut out all the rest of the movie bits. To be honest, again, the original. Cut out all the rubbish at the start that, that's... Uh, about trying to escape and trying to do this, trying to do that. Just show me the adventure at the end and give me several islands that he visits and several giant animals. That, you know, I'd be happy with that, regardless of how horrible they look. Just, I mean, in general. <laughs> A blend of these two movies would have been amazing. Yet we get lackluster in both. The thing that has inspired me the most about all of this is, to be honest, I'd like to see whether... The copyright to Dr. Doolittle, the original story, is uh, over yet, whether it's now in public domain. Because if so, I'd actually like to have a crack at writing a story with this. Go for uh, it. You love the world, mate. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. And that's that's really the best I can say about this. So for the actual movie itself, I sadly have to give it two stars. Mm. Now, Wayne. Yes. I'm hoping that you've got something to lift our spirits a bit for next time. What have you got in store? Well, mate, I can't guarantee anything because (laughs) I've decided to take a leaf out of your book and bring a film that we haven't seen before. (laughs) So next time I thought it might be fun to go back and watch Mel Gibson's first credited big screen Role. So next time we're going to watch Summer City. Mm, very nice. I've heard of, not seen. Mm. Exciting. We'll see once we review it. Mate. <laughs> if not, you and I will have to just go back to movies we know, but we'll try. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go 
gave it the old college try. What, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's been an interesting discussion, especially comparing this movie to Doctor Doolittle, which we reviewed back in episode twenty-three. Check mm. that out. But until next time, I've been a Wayne Stellini, and I've been a Philip Hunting, and you've just experienced Red Watch. Cue music. Dun, 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 dun. They didn't even give us an homage. <laughs> they didn't do a little twinkle of the back in your cage, Philip. And same. Blooper reel. Hello. G'day. Oh, g'day! Sorry, I said g'day. I said g'day. Why did I say g'day? I never say g'day. You never say g'day. Oh, I never my. say g'day. I'm oh, sorry. My. I wasn't focused. G'day! Hello. Hello! Hey! Hey! Whoa! Whoa! Oh, I don't say well. You say well. No, I've done it. Fuck. I know. I'm the woe. You have been uh, taking my woes for a while, mind you. I have But been. I've not said anything and I've just continued uh. with my woes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go again. Actually, I think... Do I woe after you? Is that what I've been well, doing? I think you've jumped in before my woes, and then uh, I will do a woe. Or you might take my woe cue and then woe. Um, yeah, because really, me woeing really, after you makes sense, but me woeing before you doesn't. No, but also, really, because you have the g'day, I have the woe. Yeah, so you yeah. should never woe, and I, I should never woe. g'day. We need to write this down in the show bubble. Come on, let's hurry up. <laughs> Philip equals g'day, Wayne Green equals woe. <laughs> Sorry, one more time. G'day! Hello. Hey! 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 What? It's, it's the... It's the <laughs> one, I'm overthinking. <laughs> Two, it's the gap in between. Oh my god, it's the gap in between. It's the... It's the... It's the <laughs> Couldn't have hey, one, so you had a way. Hey, <laughs> hey, way, hey. Okay, we're gonna do three of them. You did. You have three. I have three. Okay. Three, or should it be good day? And then you're like, mm. hey. Then I'm hey, and then you're woe. So you want to go two each instead of three each? Yeah, two each. Yeah, that works out. I think better. Okay. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just got caught it all. <laughs> oh gosh! Do this through Zoom. He said it'll be easier for everyone. He said. <laughs> G'day. Hello. Hey. Whoa. Hey. I'm a- no. I still fucking did it. <laughs> okay. You're doing three greetings. I'm doing three greetings. Okay. 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 Let's not reinvent the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> G'day. Hello. Hey. Hey there. Hey. Whoa. Oh, I'm a Philip Hunting. I'll do it again. <laughs> Today we're reviewing the 2020 re... Whoa, what have I done? Oh yeah, that's a joke. No, you don't okay. know. No, it's all right. <clears throat> Directed by Stephen... Oh, fuck, I haven't checked his name. Stephen Gaghan? Gahan? Um, let me have a look. I've got pronunciations of Gagan or Gagan. Gagan. Go with Gagan. Gagan. Directed by Stephen Gagan, Doolittle is a retelling of Doc... 
Directed by Stephen Gagan, Doolittle is a retelling of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting. Dr. Do- <laughs> Dr. John Doolittle, Robert Downey Jr., is a Welsh veteran. Vet- Boy, it's going to be one of those days, Wayne. I think we knew it was going to be one of those days when we struggled with hello. With uh, with hello, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. Man. You had me at hello. <laughs> directed by Stephen Gagan. Directed by Stephen Gagan. Why can't I say do little? It's because it looks dumb. It's well, you've spelt it wrong. Have I? Yeah, you've put two O's. It's D O L I T T L E. It is two. Directed by Stephen Gagan, Dr. Doolittle is a re- Joined by Tommy Stubbins, Harry Collette, and his menagerie- Oh, fucking hell, Philip, why did you write this? That's what I get You're doing well. You're doing well. Joined by Tommy Stubbins, Harry Collette, and his menagerie of animal friends, they set across the sea- Pursued by Dr. Blair Mudfly. Michael... Sorry to cut you off. Um, Do you really need an animal because a menagerie does relate to animals? So maybe, and his menagerie of friends? Yeah. Yep. Joined by Tommy Stubbins, Harry Collette, and his menagerie of friends, they set across the sea, pursued by Dr. Blair... The chipmunk thing, the little... Not chipmunk, the squirrel thing. Take away the polar bear and ostrich. People who don't like... Two characters (laughs) who don't like one another. For me, it was like one of the... uh, So I'm going to start again, Phil, because I don't actually know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Um, What am I saying? I'm going to move on to visuals. Is that okay? Yeah, Yeah, that's fine. And that's when we've got giraffe and fox helping Stubbins. Is it Stubbins? Yeah. Yes, it is. It just does not look nice. Again, a, a young audience, an undemanding audience is going to be perfectly fine. They're going to love the. They're going to. They're going to love the interactions. People talking. A person that can talk to animals. No one else can. And got this beautiful repertoire. But repertoire. Report. Uh, report. Thank you. You know, people. This. One of the, one of the issues, you know, having Jim Broadbent's uh, character of Lord Thomas Bagley, Bag, Bagley. Uh, we have Carmel and Lando- Leniado, Leniado. For instance, we have Carmel Landiado as Lady Rose, who to me could just be summed up as. Uh, in- 